Welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. And this is the podcast where we talk about movies that we grew up watching. I just want to start by talking about something I had mentioned in the previous two episodes. Um, I had done some PSAs about cleanliness um, in regards to the fact that both in some previous episodes, Nancy and I had been getting over colds. Our voices might have sounded different, and we talked about the importance of washing our hands. Um, I just want to reiterate that at this time and at that time, we did not actually have any signs of COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus. And we, at this moment that we know of, were okay. I've had to take my temperature at work every day. I think I'm fine. Yeah. And... um, we, I just want. I also want to mention. Not only should everyone just continue best practices, washing your hands, not touching your face, all these other things. But if you uh, feel like you must self quarantine yourself because you want to make sure that you are keeping a social distance, and you are listening to our podcast, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate. <laughs> we appreciate that, and we hope to keep you entertained while you are in these. Um, High anxiety, desperate times. Yeah. Watch some movies. That's definitely movies a great that, way yeah. to deal with the uh, coronavirus yeah, anxiety. I, mean, I think that, you know, with after tonight, we'll have done over 60 movies because yeah. of some of the, um, we did the, the baseball episode, which had multiple five. five. So, I mean, if you are just beginning to listen to us, that's a lot of movies you can watch. You, gotta, yep. you can kill a lot of time while you're in bed taking care of yourself. So everyone take care of yourself. Thanks for the PSA, Matt. Well, you know, try to try to keep this, you know, not just about blabbing about our lives and a bunch of movies. I mean, but seriously, people, wash your hands. Twenty seconds. Wash your hands. Sing a song with while you're doing it helps pass the time. It is a great way to also re, you know, kind of revisit some some classics, some musical classics. I mean, why not? So this week we have, or this episode we have. Two movies by Gus Van Sant. Two mid-90s Gus Van Sant movies. I think they came out like three years apart, maybe. Two years apart. So um, later in the episode, I'm going to talk about the 1997 Gus Van Sant film, Good Will Hunting. But we're going to start out with the 1995 Gus Van Sant film, To Die For. Nancy, why don't you get us started? All right. So, To Die For is a movie about a woman named Suzanne Stone, played by Nicole Kidman, who is truly obsessed with wanting to be on television. They talk about how she always knew she wanted to be on TV in kind of a um, news anchor outlet, um, but she just was incredibly driven and just had no um, deviating away from this is what's going to happen for me. And she ends up marrying Matt Dillon's character, Larry Moretto. And he, you know, they're, they're in a town called Little Hope, um, New Hampshire, I believe. Little Hope, New Hampshire. And 
he his family is a very traditional Italian family. They own a restaurant. He works at the restaurant. I believe his sister sometimes works at the restaurant too. She's an ice skater played by the amazing Ileana Douglas. Her name is uh, Janice Moretto. Um, and you know his parents. It's just like us. It's a brother sister. Although I'm going to guess he's an older brother for her. I, sure. I think they she's, never establish it. I'm going to assume he's older. Bro- he's the older brother. Um, but it's just those two kids and their parents. And Nicole Kidman and her family. You know, her parents are still married. Second appearance in a row with Holland Taylor. Yeah. She plays Nicole Kidman's mom. And her dad is played by Kurt Woodsmith. They have, you know, typical kind of four-person family as well. Nicole Kidman also has a sister who, she's never been into her sister. She's always thought Suzanne is full of shit. (laughs) She's never appreciated or enjoyed her sister. She's always thought her sister was just an attention whore, (laughs) basically. Had Matt Dillon not, had Matt Dillon's character Larry not been captivated by Suzanne Stone, I don't know if their relationship would have grown and I don't think it would have happened. I think it was like the, the trajectory of their getting married and whatnot was all him. Like, I think he pushed that they, they needed to be together. I mean, I'm sure she played along cause she liked the, being chased and stuff, but I think well, she knew how to tease him just enough and be play hard to get. And for whatever reason, even though he's so cute, Matt Dillon is adorable. And like Janice establishes, there are tons of girls in this town that would love to be with you, and he's just not interested. He wants this one hard-to-get girl. I think he's kind of infatuated with her with her looks and everything, but they do, at the beginning of the movie, they have something in common where she is very driven, like you had mentioned, to be on television, mm-hmm. and he is a drummer in a band. Yeah. So I think that they, he kind of, there, there's kind of this kind of, ambition to try maybe he understands you know her ambition and he's you know early on in their relationship and then eventually their marriage he's very supportive of um the career that she wants to go on until later and he kind of feels like it's getting in the way well let's not even say later because skipping ahead just a little bit they're only married for a year yeah it's not like it's not like he put up with her wanting to establish a television career for so long, like four or five, six years before bringing up, oh, yeah, we should start having kids or anything like that. It was a, a year, but getting off track a little bit. You know, they, they get married. She manipulates where they go on their honeymoon, not just so he can go fishing all day, but so she could be at some television convention thing where she can hobnob with industry people, which felt very Harry Harvey Weinstein to me. Very, uh, very, you know. Oh, yeah. It's- just that whole scene with this kind of like older television executive guy, or maybe not even an executive, just some kind of insider who... He was an executive, and it was... In, in- it was very, yeah. Go ahead. He, you know, he was ta- You know, he saw her walk into this one, um, this one speaking gig that he had, and decided, "Ooh, I'm gonna wine and dine her." And ultimately, just your imagination goes where it wants to to see what she what she does to get his attention and to get, you know. Well, he straight up asked her to do it. <laughs> yeah. 
And whether we don't know for sure whether she does or not, but it's pretty clear that she probably does. Yeah. But it sets her on a path to pursue becoming the the weather person at her local television, uh, station. television station, which felt very almost like Wayne's World to me. <laughs> it's just so small, but, um, you know, she's so just totally over the top that Newman from um, Seinfeld... Wayne Knight, yeah. they he's he runs the station and he's like, oh my god, gangbusters just comes in and walks in and she's full of ideas and she is just relentless. Um, this woman wears him down so much, lets her have a, a spot doing weather on the weather center, which they now have, which you know is, you know, it's decent gig, I guess. But I mean, again, it's the weather; it's local weather. But she's full of all these ideas, and she's eventually able to uh, wear him down to do a um, kind of like what felt like inspired maybe by real world. Just like the first kind of docu-series kind of uh, filming. Mm -hmm. She does it with the high school students, and most of the high school students could not give a shit about who this lady is. But there were three that were interested in her, one who claimed one named Lydia who claimed she'd been on TV before, but really she had just seen herself on television as she walks by the camera, security camera, security camera at a, um, like, like a, a radio shack. Exactly. And then, um, very gross Casey Affleck in this movie. He's just, he plays Russell. He plays basically like bud from <laughs> good. Just one of the guys, just this really aggressive, hormonal boy (laughs) and then um Joaquin Phoenix plays um Jimmy and Jimmy is just almost paralyzed by how much he feels for Suzanne he's just so enamored of her instantly but because the three of them they all sign up to do this project with Suzanne where Suzanne is just documenting their lives like getting to know them and she's trying to kind of get into the like it's kind of a getting to know the teenager, you know, like the teenage mindset of, you know, of that little town basically. Yeah. But she's so, she has, la- she lacks any depth. I mean, she lacks depth in every way, shape and form. She's so, so shallow. I mean, the questions that she asks them, the things that she wants them to like dig into, it just, it never seems like she's really trying to like grab, like really get to know them. It just, ultimately kind of is always very surface and just kind of exploitive over time. She's starting to feel pressure because, um, her husband is becoming less patient, less supportive and whatnot. And then she's able to really manipulate the kids into doing really horrible things. And that's where the mystery of the show is, you know, her husband gets killed. Like she gets these kids to kill her husband. And it's very, it's very intense, but you know, alongside all of that, the way that the movie is played out is in this really kind of interesting, like a documentary. And a th- one thing I love about this movie is just kind of the storytelling, the, the, the method in which they kind of reveal the story. Cause you know, it opens up pretty early with Matt Dillon's sister ice skating. And she's like, Oh, what was my first impression of her? You know, four letter word starts with C cold. She's cold, you know? But there, you know, there's shots of, like, all the family members except Suzanne and except Larry in, like, I don't know, like a Phil Donahue or Maury Povich kind of, like, studio. It's mainly just the parents. 
It's just the parents in the Phil Donahue kind of studio. The sister, too. Oh, and the sister. I don't know. I don't think Janice isn't in it, but but she's still being interviewed. Like, they're doing her interviews on the on the in the ice skating rink they're kind of un, you know revealing these things like kind of in the way that a lot of um reality shows will have like these little like interview segments that are kind of like these uh it's almost like a voiceover it's kind of like how they use these voiceovers but like they're showing you know like this live this footage of what actually happened but then they cut away to these cool interviews or whatever you know as time goes by and you you know it finally gets revealed later in the you know finally at the very end of the movie that you know Suzanne is dead you know they you know she ends up getting killed because the you know the parents more or less request a hit that you know i mean there's an ongoing joke kind of near the beginning of the movie that and it's not, and it's not really, it's not a nice joke. It's, I mean, a lot of the the humor in this is it's so dark. It's dark. The Moretto family, like somehow has ties to the mob, but because it's such a small town, they're just buying into the stereotype. Well, then at the end of the movie, you realize, oh, they could hire a they could yeah. hire a hitman. Yeah. <laughs> and and again, you know, like Suzanne's whole dream in life is to is to be famous. Like she wants fame. She wants these TV cameras, and you know. She's been cre- she'd been creating this video series where she's mostly behind the camera of the kids. But then once her husband gets killed, like the night of the murder, you know, like all these news, these news vans show up at her house and like she's already all made up and everything. And she gets to walk outside and like all these cameras are on her and whatnot. And she's finally like getting this attention and the attention ends up being very short lived because even though, yes, there's a trial and all that stuff, I can't even imagine that it's probably more than, like, three or four months later that, you know, she's has submitted this tape. Because the other interview thing that's happening through this whole movie is this close-up of her face where she's got this, like, Jane, Jane Pauly kind of haircut and, like, this pink she, lipstick. She's wearing, she, and she's kind of wearing the whole kind of Jackie O pink kind of outfit. Exactly. And she's she's just telling the story. So she's telling this whole story. We're also getting these other details filled in by the other family members and while they're on their little interview couches, and then you're seeing, like, the footage of what actually happened. Well, the great thing is that when it's all... When she's done telling her story, it turns out she wasn't anywhere. She was in her bedroom with a camera just facing her, filming herself the whole time. It's like the way it seems initially is that, oh, she's she's landed. Like, she's telling her story. Well, then we find out she's made a tape to then hand off to someone who ends up being her yep. murderer. <laughs> it, was all part, it was all part of the, like, the plot to get her away to try and to, to offer. Yeah. So that's kind of long and short of it. I mean, there's a whole other big piece with, like, the more about the kids that I could get into, but I don't want to keep rambling on about the plot what i want to say though is i think this movie is very very interesting in terms of it came out in 95 there wasn't a whole lot of reality television out then there were about three seasons of the real world out and that was very cutting edge at the time there just wasn't a lot of kind of like day in the life like really like focusing in on average people kind of television and i feel like this movie takes like a microscope at how it can go very bad you know like this desire for this kind of fame and attention can go really really wrong well since then this movie came out in 95 there are a million reality shows 
And there's also this thing called the internet. And there's this thing called Instagram. And there's YouTube. And there's all of these channels that are available now where a Suzanne Moretto, she could she would just be on YouTube right now. Or have a podcast. Or have a podcast. <laughs> or do Instagram or be an Instagram influencer. I mean, I just I feel like this movie is like ahead of its time in terms of like kind of the critique of what this kind of attention seeking could get you. And I've watched a lot of reality television. So again, you know, I think about like these crazy ladies on Bravo that I watch and just how fucked up a lot of their lives are and just how much, how many of them, you don't know this cause you don't watch it, but several of these people come on these shows married. Do you know how many divorces have happened on these shows? All of them? Almost all of them. I mean, it truly is an incredibly high number. Higher than what you would expect. Like, higher than, like, the average American, was it, like, 50% of marriages end in divorce? It's more than 50% that have ended in divorce on these shows. So it just, it's like, why would someone sign up to be on any of these shows? Because um, they're all, like, little Suzanne Morettos. Maybe not killers, but we hope not. Um... <laughs> So, so again, so just to kind of give you and just to kind of help you understand why I love, but I also, I've always loved Matt Dillon and I've always loved Joaquin Phoenix, even though he has an incredibly unfortunate mullet through most of this movie. (laughs) His mullet is very sad. I think, I think we're going to, um, we might need to have a subtitle for this episode as unfortunate mullet. I think that's fine with me because (laughs) it is, it is a very, very, very sad little mullet that he's got. Um, I really don't have a lot to say about this movie that could sound positive. Well, you don't need to sound positive, but, but tease out tease out why you don't why it doesn't. Because um, I know there's things you like about it. Because I know you like Matt Dillon also, I, and I know I think, you also like I, Joaquin Phoenix. I do. I do like them. I would love to agree with your um, interpretation of the commentary mm-hmm. and and foreshadowing of reality TV I honestly don't think it pulls it off that was my biggest problem with the movie is all of you described about the reality TV of it and her desire to be on TV and all of that I was bored I didn't get that hardly at all I just I didn't care it like I was lo- I was like the first time I saw this movie was in the theater because a friend of mine was, um, at the time, in love with Nicole Kidman. So I was like, let's go see this movie. I like art. I was, at the time, I was, like, watching Bravo and when before it became a reality yeah. nightmare. They were showing art films. So I was kind of, I was mm-hmm. into that. I had no, I knew who Gus Van Sant was. He had done um, My Own Private Idaho. And I believe um, even Cowgirls Get the Blues at that point. I just... Even when I saw it then, I remember walking out of the movie going like, I am not into this movie. Mm, I'm just okay. not. I. It didn't do anything for me. I thought the, I mean, the acting was was done really well. Um, on my rewatch this time, this is only the second time I've watched it. Oh, okay. This is only the second time I've watched it because that first experience was so bad. Oh, interesting. That I was just like, God, this movie's terrible. I'm never going to watch this again. And then watching it this time, like, I... You know, Nicole Kidman, she, I think that she was great. I kind of felt like the whole time, like, I kept hearing um, Cher from Clueless. 
Like that was the voice she was doing the whole movie. Well, she's probably working on her act. Oh, I think this well, came, she, this came out before that. This came out before that. But my point is, is like that's the like it was like she was doing that very kind of like Southern California teenage girl, hmm. you know, kind of voice. She's not saying like as if and all that like share. But she's probably still working on her American accent. Let's get. I'm, I'm sure. I think I'm sure that's she was. probably part of I'm it. I'm sure she too. was. And and you know, in my research, you know, she she tried really hard to do this movie. She really wanted to play this role. And she, it's and, she committed, and she committed herself really well to this. But the whole, like, reality TV want, desire to get on TV, and I was just I, just, I just didn't see it. I just saw her as a very untalented... Um, Vapid. Just had this dream in her head that was just... I mean, not only... It, it didn't even seem possible because she wasn't good. <laughs> it was almost like a comp. It, it just didn't seem genuine. I, I guess and it has nothing to do with Nicole Kidman. I just think like with the story, there's other things I didn't like about it. Like um, in both this movie and Goodwill Hunting, we talk about it. I was really surprised to see that Danny Elfman had done the, the music. music. Yeah. And in, this movie, it has a very kind of similar Danny Elfman kind of, kind of quirky kind of kind of um, music to it, like he's done in a lot of his Tim Burton movies. Yes. So that music, like, imagine Tim Burton movie music over this kind of really kind of dark comedy, and it it just didn't make sense. It like didn't work. It like it, it almost it was almost like. Oh man, we've got this movie, but this we wanted this to be funnier. So, and it's a little too dark. Let's get Danny Elfman to do the music, and maybe that'll like make it more comedic. I don't know. It was just it just didn't it just didn't work, and and it just I just wasn't really impressed. No, I mean I and you know. The way, like, the whole, like, the kids are and the murder happens and all of this, it just seemed very kind of predictable and contrived and just, it, it just, it just didn't do anything for me. And, and, you know, it is inspired by a true story. It's mm. based on a book that, and it's all, and it's inspired by a true story of uh, Pamela Smart who I think I'm assuming did something very similar to this. And I just, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think it's fair. I mean, all of those criticisms are very fair, especially if you did see it when it came out and yeah, it just left I saw a the really, theater and left I was a really like, strong impression and, with you. And maybe I had like really high hopes for it. Hmm. And then I just remember walking out like, oh, I just don't like this movie. I've probably seen it like four or five times. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but I, it's probably been at least four or five times. And I've always liked it. And I think I've really liked it. I, I'm just going to jump ahead and say Ileana Douglas is my favorite character. I love his sister. I think Janice is just the best. I've thought the fact that she always knew something was wrong with this girl. Like, she just never bought into Suzanne. Mm -hmm. And... um I've always thought she was really funny and I was really excited to see her pop up recently on the second season of shrill. I was like, Oh, oh yeah, there she is. Yeah. I haven't seen her in so long. So 
she was my favorite character, and I just really liked how sharp she was and just how she was like, I am, uh, you know, cut through the bullshit. Because she was the exact opposite of Suzanne. Like, she oh, wasn't yeah. interested yeah. in, you know, when Suzanne was trying to, like, give her all these little beauty tips and just be so rude and nasty. It's like, you realize this is your sister-in-law, right? Like, how can you say something so rude to her? But also... She doesn't care like that. She wasn't a surfacey person, but Suzanne was. Suzanne was all surface. Like she just was all. Well, and, and maybe that's part of my problem with it is there aren't a lot of characters in this movie that, man, I really feel for this character. You didn't feel for his parents. You didn't feel feel for Larry. Saw, you barely. Eh. My problems with my problem with Larry is. He just, he just seemed kind of wimpy. And that's what one of the things that Janice says about him. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like, eh. I mean, he put himself in this position. Well, I think this was kind of a different role for Matt Dillon, too, by the time this movie came out. Well, I mean, so compare, I, I, compare him in, like, if you look at him in this, like, there's definitely, like, hey, you need to be this way. Because we've seen him like as a really good tough guy in outside in the outsiders mm-hmm. and he play he does an amazing job in this movie drugstore cowboy which i highly recommend and i just like you see him in this and it's almost yeah it's like i i guess He's i goofy. just didn't oh. care <laughs> this came out before there's something about mary right yes which I that became it did. a very like he definitely is a different kind of character in that one too a movie i've never seen oh really yeah it's I'm actually surprised I saw it because it's just not really my. T- yeah, I've never. Seen it's a very goofy comedy, but hey, I get your I get your criticism. I accept your criticism. I guess I've always like also loved Joaquin Phoenix ever since he was little. I, so it's oh, like to kind of watch his From evolution. On, I mean, I mean to watch his evolution and to so you know, good. See, no, and I mean, you know, he even has a little scene in this where he's dancing. I'm like, oh, look at that! He's dancing in this movie, and eventually yeah. got to be dancing in the Joker. Yeah, I think we and, actually. Uh, when we rewatched, when we watched it, we made the same kind of comment, like, "Oh, he's practicing for his big stare scene in yeah. Joker." And his character is just—I mean, here's the thing: a lot of the characters in this movie are dumb. Yeah, and he's dumb. He's—he's he's this love-struck, dumb guy incredibly young immature dude i mean he's a teenager but she somehow is able to just get her hooks in him and just manipulate the hell out of him and so much so that he doesn't have any he just believes everything she says oh yeah he believes every word of oh he beats me he does this he does that and when he finally goes to you know kill him and he's he couldn't believe that that guy is the same guy, but he was too far in at that point to turn yeah. around and not do it. I don't know. I I felt a lot for his character. I mean, I don't know what it is about Joaquin Phoenix, but I always feel a lot of compassion for his characters in pretty much anything I see. Even him Gladiator. In. I haven't seen Gladiator in a long time. He's, I've seen it once. It was terrible. <laughs> we might be watching it again. Oh man. <laughs> but I I don't know. I I. I feel like another way to look at this movie is there's a price for fame and her price was 
she wasn't going to be more famous than however, you know, it wasn't going to extend very long for her because she killed the wrong guy and uh, it cost her big time. Like it wasn't the, it cost her by being in jail for the rest of her life. But no, she had her one moment of fame and that was going to be it. But how famous did she really get? I mean, so her husband... Local stuff. Yeah, she became a local celebrity, which she already was because she did the weather. Yeah. I mean, she could... And, and she was on a good path when she had the idea of doing other stories and her documentary and everything, but she was not going to... She... I, I don't think anyone, you know... Yeah, she was... What they call her? Gangbusters. Gangbusters. That, that wasn't going to get her anywhere because she lacked talent. She lacked talent. <laughs> But she also would not take no for an answer. And that was that was the thing. That was when she really started turning on Larry like hardcore was when it he was start- very no, it was very immediate. It was I think we should start having a family and I don't think that your career is ever gonna go anywhere. And it's like the next day it's like I need to kill Larry. Yep. <laughs> I mean not very smart. Well, but think about it too. I mean, and this is why I think it's interesting that they do the interview stuff with the parents is, you know, to see like what kind of monster is she? And not that you should always blame parents for how a person turns out for per se, but clearly they weren't telling her no ever. Like she wore her parent must've worn her parents down and let her manipulate them all the time. And the sister, you know, probably got a good short, you know, a lot of short shrift because of that. And that's why her sister had so much hate for her. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I just, I think looking at like Nicole Kidman's whole career, from from here backwards, I don't know of any other movie where she plays like a villain. She really, and so I think that's what makes this interesting for me too. Is that she's just this really evil, evil character. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't recall anything where she's been a villain that much that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, I haven't really followed her career as closely as other actors, but yeah, I just, I, I don't know. What was your favorite scene? I mean, the scene that comes to mind, even though it's really disturbing, because I think everything she does with the kids is gross. Like, I feel like all the stuff she does with the kids, considering that she's just manipulating them and using them so much. But I do like the car scene. Like, when when they're in the car and she's revealing to Joaquin Phoenix just how much he beats her and all this stuff. But then when Sweet Home Alabama comes on, she she's like, dancing. yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I like that scene. Like I get, like I can picture that in my head and think when I think of this movie, but I also love pretty much any time Ileana Douglas is on screen. She is just so great. And I just love how she doesn't want to disrespect her brother. She, she doesn't want to make him feel like he's a complete idiot for being so in love with this, dumb lady but also she feels like she has to be somewhat honest and just be like dude so anytime she's on screen but also all of um her interview stuff and the very very end when she gets to skate on the lake that uh well the suzanne um, is buried under um my favorite character is um the hitman for two reasons. One, <laughs> took care of Suzanne. Two, played by acclaimed director David Cronenberg, which you probably did not understand know that. And no. He he's he's done some acting, but he's he did like 
the new the 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 80s version of the fly um naked lunch did you do one we covered existence um she's done she's done a lot of a lot of interesting fun oh he and he just so i liked him in it. <laughs> and my favorite scene is that scene at the end when she is skating on the ice where she is buried because she is a four letter word cold yeah yeah she's, she's cold. cold in the ice and that was the smartest smartest wittiest part of that entire movie at the very beginning, she calls her cold, and at the end, you see that she is skating on the ice that she is buried in. And yeah, that was that's part. Oh, these are the movies that Cronenberg's done because, uh, and someone one of the newer movies, uh, Cosmopolis, A Dangerous Method, Eastern Promises, A History of Violence. Exist oh, okay, ends, those 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 have got um, Viggo uh, Mortensen in Dead them. Ringers. The Dead Zone. Um, Dead Ringers. Does it have... Um, Jeremy Irons yes, as the twin, gynecologist. the twin gynecologist with the golden tools. Yes, I think I've seen that. <laughs> so a lot of like interesting kind of freaky, weird, artsy movies. Got it. Anyway, um, so that was my favorite character, <laughs> my favorite scene. And I know that seems kind of like a cop-out or kind of oh. wrong. But. Well, I'm glad you were able to discuss more about like what it was that didn't work for you in this movie. I, yeah, I mean, I just... I was bored. It's okay. I was bored. I didn't care. I mean, I... And I know how much you you kind of have enveloped a lot of your television watching and some of your life with the reality TV shows, so I can see how you probably find this movie interesting, as you had said, like because mm. it's kind of a precursor to the onslaught of reality television that we have gotten over the last 30 years. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I, I would, along those lines though, you have to remember like in the nineties, yes, we had like the real world and reality TV was kind of starting, but the big thing that we had in the nineties was like Jerry Springer. Yeah. Yeah. And like that kind of like interview news thing. And I think it relates more to that. Okay. Than it does actual reality TV that we've seen now. The other, because of the news angle too. Yeah. If I was going to say that there was a movie that really pushed the envelope about like getting attention and being on TV and like in the same line of how like bad some of the people are on TV. I wouldn't say watch to die for. I'd say watch natural born killers, which I don't remember that one very well. Natural born killers with Woody Harrelson and Juliet Lewis. Lewis. They're serial killers. And mm. Robert Downey Jr. Is an Australian news guy who's following them. Do you making, like that movie? Um, I find it interesting. Maybe we'll put it on the list. Um, I wouldn't say it like had a huge influence on me, but Oliver Stone directed that. Uh, written by, I believe it's written by Quentin Tarantino, mm. and it just has this very kind of um, more in-your-face look that I would say is closer to re- how reality TV has gone in the last mm. 30 years okay. than, than To Die For. And I would put To Die For more like along the like Jerry Springer, Maury Povich kind of mm. line, which is very much how like that the interviews with the with the two families are, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, Interesting. 
One other thing I wanted to note, the the little interviews where Nicole Kimmons all in the pink, mm-hmm. apparently she filmed those herself. Oh, wow. Like, they set her all up, and she got all done up, and she had the camera there, and she did all that. So she was alone? I, th- I mean, there was probably, like, crew there helping her, but she pretty much... She wasn't given a lot of direction. She just did wow. it on her own. And what I think is another kind of aspect of, like, how you have to really kind of give her a lot of credit yeah. for the performance in the movie and everything. But. Yeah, her character truly felt like she was an authority on a lot. Like, her, I mean, just the way that she was telling this story and just um, really dissecting everything about the people around her and just the way she was couching everything. I mean, she just... She's a queen manipulator, well, but also kind of dumb. I mean, just like you said, not very talented. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I was interesting. All right. But why don't we move over to a movie that we both love, and that is uh, Good Will Hunting. Well, let's, let's first, I'll, I just want to finish one thing off with To Die For, and it kind of ties into this. So... In the movie To Die For, you know, we mentioned that Russell, mm. one of the friends, was played by Casey Affleck. Mm-hmm. As, on my research that I did online, Casey Affleck um, had a script in his hand. He handed it to Gus Van Sant. And Gus was like, hey, I want to help I want to help make this movie. And it was the script for Goodwill Hunting that his really? brother had written <laughs> that's wild i didn't realize that casey affleck handed it to yeah he Sam. said you hey, you should check this out and wow we have to uh, give casey affleck credit for that yeah and I he mean, is not my favorite of the affleck brothers well to die for was his first movie and he actually beat out his brother and matt damon for the role of russell because apparently he had more his his he's creepier boston, his boston accent was was still like more natural whereas Ben and Matt had kind of lost theirs because of all the other acting they had attempted to do with like school ties and stuff. And, um, so yeah, he had, you know, because he had worked with Gus Van Sant, that kind of opened the door to him directing Goodwill Hunting. Well, hot damn. I didn't realize that. I, I heard that and I was like, holy shit. How did we, I mean, Sure, they had the same director. Danny Elfman did the music in both of them. Hey, and Affleck's in both of them. But I didn't realize that one if one didn't happen, the other one wouldn't. Isn't it great when siblings help each other like that? Oh, man. Yeah. Do I, I, I guess you help me. <laughs> anyway, Good Will Hunting. Good Will Hunting, written by Matt Damon and, and Ben Affleck. They won a, a Oscar for um, original screenplay for this. Um, this this movie um, came out in 1997, was um, nominated for a ton of awards um, at the Oscars, and um, like I said, it won Best Original Screenplay, also won Best Supporting Actor for Robin Williams for his role as Sean McGuire, but um, Matt Damon plays Will Hunting, who is um, a troubled 20-year-old genius from South Boston who has struggled his whole life with um, some personal problems that we learn about through, as the movie goes on. And Matt, uh, Ben Affleck, uh, Casey Affleck, 
and um, some other schmo. No, he's not another schmo. Cole Hauser. Um, what else have I been in? Cole Hauser was in Dazed and Confused. Okay, he was one of the guys that beat up the kids. Uh, he was one of the football team guys. Yeah, he's the he's the guy that really tried to push Pink at one point to sign the paper mm. to um, the commitment to the team. Anyway, they play um, Will's friends, and they're just four like really good best friends from South Boston who hang out and try and have each other's back. You know, they're really loyal to each other, even though they rip on each other the whole time. And they know that Will has this talent to, and he's very smart. Will loves to read. He's wicked smart. He's wicked smart. He loves to read, but he's also really good at math. And, you know, as we start, you know, kind of learning about Will, we discover that he he has this talent for solving problems at his job that get solving math problems that get written on a board at his job at MIT. He is a janitor and at night when he's cleaning the floors, he will solve problems written on a whiteboard that are meant to challenge the other students. So he gets noticed by the head of the math department, um, Professor Gerald Lambeau. Jerry. Jerry. Good played one, by Jerry. Stellan Skarsgård, who is trying to, you know, kind of show him his potential and give him opportunity because he sees how gifted he is. Well, the way they they meet is Matt or Matt Damon or <laughs> Will gets in a fight, you know, is going to go to jail and he bails him and he basically bails him out, but there's a catch. He has to work with him. And he'll give reports to the court, you know, about how he's doing. And he has to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. Which brings me to probably one, not my favorite scene, but one of my favorite scenes in this movie is um, as they're, you know, because Will is so smart. And one of his issues is he doesn't like letting people in. Like he has his circle of friends, but he doesn't like really... He's not, he's, not built, he's not built for therapy. No. So <laughs> we have this kind of montage kind of kind of time segment where you just see him fucking with these therapists. <laughs> and just the things he does to mess with these therapists is great. Until he finally meets one that really kind of challenges him and he's willing and is willing to work with him. And that is Robin Williams Keller. Um, character um, Sean McGuire they bo- and Sean comes from South Boston mm-hmm. you know where Will's from so he kind of has an understanding of where, they, where he's coming from and it takes some time a few sessions but Will starts opening up to him a little bit and while this is going on Will has also started to have a relationship with um, Minnie Driver's character named Skyler. And so throughout the movie, we are kind of learning about Will. We're learning about his relationships that he has with a woman, the relationship he has with his friends, 
He's ha- he's trying to open up to Sean, or he's trying to not open up to Sean as Sean is trying to get him to, speak, to talk. But um, we really kind of see this arc kind of go from really troubled, and he's 20 years old when we meet him, this really troubled kid who has all this potential but has no desire to really do anything with it because he's afraid of where it might take him. And he just has, he has this family that he has created with his friends that he is so loyal to that he doesn't. He'd have to leave them behind. He would have to leave them behind because they, they, they are not like him Mm -hmm. in that sense. Well, no one's like him. No, he's extraordinary. So, you know, without giving away the ending or going through too much. Oh, go ahead. The movie, um, (laughs) you know, there's this, there's a lot of like given like a lot of the movie is about like him trying to live up to this potential if if he wants to and he has all, he has all these people pushing him to this idea like you could be whatever you want to be but he has these demons these demon demons demon <laughs> demons he has demon these demons. these demons in his past that are kind of holding him back in a lot of ways and one of his defense mechanisms to kind of not connect with people is by fucking with them. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's kind of interesting to watch this because, it, and, you know, you're looking at this and, you know, this movie came out over 20 years ago and you see Matt Damon and you're like, what the hell? And you look at him and you're like, he's playing a 20 year old, you know, and I don't know about you. I didn't know shit when I was 20, even though you think that you do until, I mean, yeah. So, but you got to remember too, though, he's basically always been on his own because he was in, right. he was an orphan and he was yeah. in foster homes. He was, homes, a, he was so in foster homes. He was an orphan. He, he, he had to grow up very fast. Right. And sometimes you don't also trust a lot of people too. Yeah. I mean, he'd been in juvie at one point. Right. Is what he so, said. so because of all of that, he has these defense mechanisms and he's, really screwing with everybody. So one of my, my favorite scene in this movie is after he has his first meeting with Sean, he basically spends the meeting trying to not answer Sean's questions, but ask a lot about Sean just to try and see what the hell he can do to really push him over the edge to where Sean won't want to see him ever Mm -hmm. again because he doesn't want him as a therapist. And um, we find out, like, before Sean had started talking to him, that his wife had passed away from cancer. What's her her name? Nancy. (laughs) His wife, Nancy, Nancy, had passed away from cancer, and it has really affected him. Uh, Yeah, duh. Yeah. Because it was only, like, two years removed. It's not like it was, like, something that happened 50 years ago. It had happened only two years ago. She died two years ago, but it sounds like, if I remember... She was sick for a very long time. Like, six years. Yeah. You know? And he had quit his job to take care of her and everything. So... And you learn also how much in love he he was with her throughout the movie. In, In another great scene that might be your favorite scene. I don't know. But anyway. So Matt, or Will, like learns in this first meeting oh this is a this is a hot button point i'm gonna i'm gonna push him on this one and 
he says something like, well, maybe you married the wrong woman. Yeah, that's it. And Sean grabs him by the throat and is like, don't you ever disrespect my wife or I will end you. Like, and at that point you're kind of like, oh, well, this is just how, this is the same kind of like rough kind of behavior that, that Will kind of grew up with. And you see it with his friends, you know, when they they just jump a guy and get in a fight and everything like that. So I think there's kind of a connection there, even though he's like freaked out. Yeah. And this leads to probably one of my favorite scenes is, and and it's probably one of the famous scenes from, from the movie itself is he agrees to see him again. And when Will shows up for his second meeting, he grabs his hat. He says, come with me. We're going to go on a walk. And they go and sit on a bench. And Robin Williams gives probably one of the greatest monologues he's ever given in a movie. You know, he's done a lot of comedic roles. I mean, but he's done some really good serious. He had done some really good serious roles. And this is, I mean, this is by far, I mean, he won an Academy Award for this. By far the probably the best dramatic role he's ever done and the scene on the bench where he basically tells him like you know what i there's nothing i can't learn from you that i can't learn from us from a fucking book that you read because your whole life has just been reading things in books and you're and you're 20 years old and you you haven't even lived life you don't know what it's like to love somebody or have someone love you to take care of somebody to, you know, he said at one point he goes, you know, you could probably tell me the whole life story of Michelangelo, but you don't ha- know what it's like to stare at the six- Sistine Chapel, you know? And I realized after you had told, said all those things to me that you're just some stupid kid. And then I was able to fall asleep and I didn't have to work and I wasn't worrying about you anymore. Yep. And, um, it's this great kind of commentary I think about, because when I saw this, I had it had come out in '97. I just graduated high school, and I was kind of at this point where I'm like, okay, I am starting my life, and I see, and he's only playing someone who's supposed to be a couple years older than mm. me, who had, had gone through things I I'd never had to deal with, but just knowing like this whole kind of like it was a very much like you don't know shit moment. Oh yeah, because you have not lived life yet. Yeah. And, yeah, why are you acting so superior when, you know, your, and, and your life experiences are, exactly, like, zero compared exactly. to and I think that that's mine? What, and why are you so dismissive of my experiences? Well, and I think that that's how a lot of teenagers feel. Oh, yeah. Because, like, their whole world is probably in the same zip code, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. they, that they lived in, you know? I mean, for a lot of them. And, yeah. And, and it was this real kind of, like, for me, it was, like, this real kind of, like, I'm a you're right. I, I, I don't know shit. You know, I probably thought I knew shit as kind of maybe a defense mechanism or whatnot. It was a way to like, for whatever reason, but I really kind of connected to that scene. Yeah. You know, eventually, you know, we kind of, as the movie kind of goes on, it ends with Will finally leaving Boston. And, um, what does he have to do? Well, let me get to that. And <laughs> he had, you know, and at the time when he leaves Boston, he 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 kind of takes something that he had learned from Sean. One of the great parts, one of the things that's that I also really like about this movie is the relationship he kind of starts developing with Skylar. Mm-hmm. Because 
they meet in a bar. You know, he he you know is trying to defend his friend who's trying who's hitting on her, and then some other asshole tries to make him feel stupid, and then he the puts Michael he, Bolton guy, the, the Michael Bolton ponytail guy, and then he makes that Michael Bolton look you know ponytail guy look like shit, and then you know so he meets Skyler, and like that whole kind of how they meet was was really great. And then, like, that first date that they go on when they're going through the, um, like, the little toy store. The, the costumes like and the, stuff. It was, like the, it was like the prize area at yeah. an arcade, you know? They're playing with that. <laughs> and then they're eating, they're, they're at, like, a restaurant just eating sandwiches. And then they're, they're, you know, they have this great conversation where she's like, you're, I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking if you're going to get a good night kiss. And he says to her, I was actually thinking, hoping I was going to get good night laid. <laughs> <laughs> and then she was like, well, why don't we just get it out of the way? And they both have food in their mouth and they have this first kiss, mm-hmm. you know, and just their relationship is seems Yeah, it's is really, really great. It's really fun to watch. At one point, he starts talking to Sean about her. And he asks her, like, how did you know your wife was the one? And Sean goes to tell um, Will about how... He knew she was the one because he passed up going to a baseball game. One of the greatest games at that time in, in Red Sox history when Carlton Fisks hits a home run in the World Series to win a game in, like, the 12th inning. And Will's sitting there like, I can't believe you're at that game. He's like, I didn't go to that game. I I um, I was too busy having having a drink with my future wife. He's like, what do you mean? Your friends just let you do that? And he goes... Nope, I hand I slid the ticket across the table, and I said, "Sorry, fellas, I gotta um, gotta see about. I gotta a girl. go see. I gotta see about a girl." And um, that was the day he met her. That was the day he met her. Yeah. yeah. And Will's just kind of like, it really kind of was an eye opening moment. So when he finally decides to leave Boston, he um, leaves Sean a note, just like, "Hey." I got to go tell everybody sorry, but I had to see about a girl. And then Robin Williams is like, son of a bitch, you stole my line. Yeah. Apparently that was ad-libbed. Of course it is. Because <laughs> so Robin good. Williams is amazing. I don't know. I just really, there's a lot of really good things about this movie. Every time I watch it, I never think of it as a sad movie Mm-mm. because it makes me feel good at the end when I watch it. But it, there's some really kind of dark, hard stuff to watch. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's violence and um, they talk about you know, domestic violence and all this other kind of stuff. And, and, uh, there's some very crass things that oh, yeah. you know, they talk about with his friends or anything, but it always kind of makes me feel good. Um, I remember the How first many times you think you've seen it a lot. I mean, when it's on, I mean, again, this is a movie where when it's on, I can stop and just start watching it at any point when it's on. Um, I, this is probably the first time I've put it on, and watched it start to finish in, like, the last ten years, probably. But I've probably seen it three times, is really? what I'm guessing. Really? Maybe four, but um, I'm just going to interject and say I have I can't nail down my favorite scene. It's either the, the scene where he's talking about meeting his when Sean's talking about meeting his wife and they keep splicing in all the scenes from the baseball game. I think all that's really fantastic. But I actually think my favorite scene is towards the end um, when uh, Will has already broken up with Skyler oh. and 
and uh, Ben Affleck's character says, well, how's, how's your lady? He goes, oh, yeah, I broke up with her. He goes, when did you break up with her? Oh, like a week ago. Well, he doesn't say he broke up with her. She left. I thought he said he broke up with no, her. No, no, no. He said she's, I... she's gone. She, she, she left. She went to California to go to med school. I thought he started it by saying I broke up no, with her. No, he said it's over. You know, she oh. left. He never, he never says he broke up with her. He just says it's over. Oh, he told gone. Sean that he broke up with her. Right. Okay. Well, and then that whole conversation with them, because that's where Ben Affleck's character says, uh, dude, because when, when Will, Will is like, Oh, I see myself in 20 years. You know, we're just going to always be neighbors. We're going to be buddies. We'll both have some kids. Kids will be in Little League together. And he's like, if you do that, I'm going to kill you. Right. Like, if you're you're 50 and you're still doing this shit, I'm going to kill you. Because you will have been given this gift that none of us have here and thrown it away. And the happiest moments in my day are those 10 seconds when I'm walking from my car up to your door and I don't know if you're going to be there or not. And just, I think, considering they are best friends and to basically tell your best friend the best thing for you will be for you to leave and I probably won't see you again, if ever, for the rest of my life, I'm going to sacrifice having you near me and having you in my day-to-day life because I know that's what's best for you. Um, that's pretty amazing. And I think what's so great too, is that they were best friends in real life at the time when they wrote the movie and getting to play best friends on screen. And I remember watching James Lipton and I don't know if they were both on it together or if it was just one of them being interviewed, but the topic of, you know, talking about the plot of this movie and describing Will's character versus, um, Ben Affleck's character and Matt Damon being like, well, yeah, I'm going to be playing the genius here. <laughs> Just kind of like, well, Matt, duh. Da- Matt Damon, actually, he did go to Harvard, and and I don't know what kind of education So he's ben wicked Affleck, smart? I don't know what education Ben Affleck had. Um, One of them had a mom that was a school teacher or college professor or something. That was, I think, Affleck. His mom, I think, was mm. a school teacher. But, um, and I think Matt Damon is a little older than Ben Affleck in real life. So maybe just seniority allowed him to play that Possibly. role. But, I mean, or that Matt Damon might be a better actor. You know what? Um, I'm not going to argue that. He, he's, he's, he, I would say from an acting standpoint, I probably like Matt Damon better. But you, you have to really give credit to both of them because they, while they have made some terrible movies, they've made some really good movies. So Okay. Matt, this movie really, for me, put both of them on the map. Like, oh, I hadn't really the seen... The movie put them on the map. <laughs> I hadn't really seen either of them in much before this, but I swear to God, like, I was thinking about it watching this movie yesterday. I have watched so many Matt Damon movies. I mean, from this period, on, like, for like a good solid 10 years, he was in so many things. Oh. He was in almost every, and I've seen almost all of it, and I love it. Like, I love Matt Damon. And he had, he had a spell of where he did stuff that just maybe didn't fit right or whatnot, but he eventually was in a movie that we're going to eventually talk about, which I'll, we're going to pair it with something that Joaquin Phoenix is in. Um that he did a few years ago, um, The Martian. But um, I just think Matt Damon's incredible. And had this movie not come out, I don't know if we would have gotten to see him 
I don't know if he would have gotten quite the same number of jobs that he did. I mean, he was doing little bits here and there, but I mean, this movie really, this, they got to write their ticket because of this. Um, and you know, Ben Affleck, he did a ton of stuff after this too. I mean, yeah. did Chasing Amy come out before or after same this? Same year. Same, okay, so he probably filmed them around the same time then. In fact. Although he had to grow out his goatee for Chasing Amy. In fact. Um, Kevin one of the, Smith is one of the producers on. Kevin Smith, because he had worked with um, Ben Affleck on Mallrats, which came out before this. I don't remember him in that. He plays the villain in Mallrats. Oh, okay. And um, they actually got Kevin Smith and his part in his um, producing poster um, partner Scott Mosier to help um, produce Goodwill Hunting, and um, the firm that um, in the scene in Goodwill Hunting when um, Chucky pretends to be Will at mm-hmm. the job interview is at a company called Holden and McNeil. And in Chasing oh, yeah, Amy, that's his, their names. Name, yeah. his, his name in Chasing Amy is Holden McNeil. Yeah. So, I mean, that was all kind of done on purpose. But um, Retainer. <laughs> retainer. But, I mean, Matt Damon has is definitely the superior actor on this. He's in a, I mean, we could go on. I mean, the Oceans movies, when he plays the 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 the, the, the um, pickpocket in the ocean in Oceans Eleven. I think I've only seen the first one. That's and the best. Long one. time That's ago. That's the best one. Long time ago. Um, talented Mr. Ripley. Talented Mr. Ripley. Love so it. So good in that. Um, and Courage Under Fire. Did you ever see that with Meg no, Ryan? No, but I know so that good. he did that before this. We're gonna watch it someday. Oh, okay. It's great, Matt. I, I promise you, it's very good. It's not a romantic comedy. Anyway, his his his. I mean, Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. I mean, just he's got quite. The he has quite a uh, a resume. Yeah. One another thing I want to. A couple more things I want to say about this movie. Um, there are similarities between his character and like Lloyd Dobler in terms of their lack of direction, except I would agree, agree, but except they clearly have a different basis of tools to work with. I mean, Matt Damon, uh, Will Hunting is literally on a gold mine with this like mega genius that he can utilize. It's just, he doesn't know what, how to, where to put it or what to do with it. Cause he clearly has problems with, um, doing something that might be unethical. Like he says, I don't want to be a code breaker. And then he has that whole speech oh, God, about the, so good. about the domino effect of if I work for you and yeah. then you end up taking out this one village and then, you know, this <laughs> yeah. again, this like butterfly effect, you know, this chain yeah. of events of like 85 things that are going to happen to this poor guy that he knows down the street that he may as well go just kill him himself. Yeah. Um, it seems like he's very, very concerned about where do you, what do you do with this genius? Whereas Lloyd Dobler was a little more directionless other than he loved Diane Court. Yeah. I, I think that's an interesting, that's an interesting comparison. Um, Thank you. Um, and I would say that you're right. They, they lack direction f- for different reasons. Um, you know, where, uh, He's a genius. Lloyd is a hopeless romantic who eventually will 
get dumped by her in London because why would they stay married? And Lloyd only has stay. female friends. Yes. And Will does not have any female friends. He just has right. his three dudes. Right. So, I mean, his it, homies. There, there, there's some similarities there. And I think that that's a fair compare. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting comparison. But I would. Lloyd was a lot more self aware. Oh, I don't and think. Lloyd, Lloyd didn't lack self confidence either. He didn't. I think that he. He never sat there and was like, Diane Court's never going to go out with me. He tried, and he just like, was like, <laughs> I'm going to make this girl go out with me. I have no problems with that. She's going she's gonna to do yeah. it. But um, whereas Will, it's hard to say whether he lacks self-confidence, but he also kind of didn't know himself. No. And I think that's hard when you have... That's got to be really hard when you have the potential that he does and, you know, the golden ticket that, you know, the winning lottery ticket, like Chucky says, but really not to be scared of what to do with it, you know, because he's afraid that he's going to be alone. He's afraid that he's going to have to abandon the family that he has around him, the the makeshift family he has around him. He's going to have to abandon the, you know, everything he knows about his neighborhood, his friends, seeing, you know, everything, all that stuff. And, um, so, and, and Lloyd didn't really have that. Lloyd had no problem. Like I could join the army. I could do this, you know, well, I just, also, I just, it's just not really what I want. Cause all I want to do is hang out with Diane court. And also he, <laughs> he, he didn't feel panicked about the relationships he knew needed to evolve. Like he knew he'd always have his sister, you know, she, he may not live yeah. in the same city as her, but he knew she'd always be in his life. Yeah, and Will his has, Will his girlfriends, like his, his girl pal, gal pals, like yeah. they'd always love him. And Will didn't be, have that. And, no. and, and, well, and when they look, when you look at his background, it makes sense. You know, if he'd yeah. moved around from so many foster homes and, was abused as much as he was yeah. and in and out of jail and his anger issues were never really addressed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it would seem it makes sense why he was so desperate to want to cling on to that basic stuff. And also there's an element of um, when he kept saying, hey, what's wrong with bricklaying? Like, that's noble. I can build someone's house or what's wrong with fixing someone's car? In a way, it's like he was being he was defending what the careers of all his friends were. The, what yeah. they already had. He wouldn't want anyone to talk badly about what they're doing. Right. Like no one is going to say something bad about and he's mechanics not, and he's not or wrong. people who build houses. And, and he's not and, wrong. It, it's just that I think they, they, they loved him so much that they wanted to see him, you know, succeed. And if, and I'm sure they knew about all the shit that he had gone through. I don't think that he, I mean, They've had to oh, have known yeah. that, to an like, extent. Like, I mean, to the to an extent. I mean, I mean, they probably knew more about his past than fucking Louise would tell Thelma about what happened in Texas. <laughs> I agree. So, because she was never going to tell her. You're right. I mean that that is another like kind of great scene. The whole idea of like if you if you're still here in 20 years. You know, I'll fucking kill you. That yeah. that kind of whole aspect of like how you know, dare you have wasted this? Yeah. Um, another thing about this movie that I just absolutely love, I had never really listened to Elliot Smith before this movie. No, and, and you know what? I The introduction to Elliot Smith from this movie is great. I noticed that the only time he played was in scenes that had some sort of relationship to Skyler. Mm, that's all right. 
No, no, I know. But I thought that was interesting how, like, if it was either them talking about her, she was on the screen, or some some sort of action had to do with their relationship Elliot Smith was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I can't really listen to Elliot Smith anymore because anytime I listen to Elliot Smith, it just makes me sad. Because they're great songs, but... Maybe you need to see Sean McGuire and work through that pain. Maybe. So you can eventually listen to Elliot Smith again. I mean... It's just tragic. Oh, Mulder. I know, Mulder. Did you like this movie? Huh? Elliot Smith is amazing. Yeah. And I, and just to compare and contrast, Danny Elfman's music in this movie, I never would have thought it was Danny Elfman. Agreed. It's totally... It's more calm. It's, or it's, it's just... It's well, just a different tone. And it has like a real... It, it has kind of a, a dreamy kind of sense to it. Mm-hmm. But it's... It's not, and this is not this is not a hit on Danny Elfman because I mean, I mean he was in a band named Oingo Boingo, um, <laughs> but um, it's not goofy. And that's fine. You know that's, what I mean? It's not playful. I guess playful. Yeah, would be the, I mean, it's not playful. It, it's the music in Die Hard in To Die For could have been in Beetlejuice more than the music in Goodwill Hunting could have been in Beetlejuice. Like, oh man, that would have been a weird Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I, I know, I know exactly what you mean, and I, I don't think it's an insult or anything. Yeah. It's, um, and, and I think the, the, the his to die for was way more signature Danny Elfman music yes. score, and his mu- and his music in this movie seemed to be to go with the movie as whereas. With to die for, it just seemed disjointed. But, um, but yeah, I mean, did you notice the Sepultura song though? In to die for, apparently that yes. was a song that Jack was like, "There's a Sepultura song in there." Yes, Max from Sepultura. Yes. Um, sorry, there's a cat giving his opinion. Mm-hmm. It's just um, meow. Um, no, I, I love this movie. I like I said, it really put Matt Damon on the map for me, and I really it, it, kept for I, all I, of Hollywood. It, yeah. it, it really put Matt Damon and Ben Affleck really on the map for all of Hollywood. And um, I mean, and I always they've both, I, they've both had you know success. I mean, um, Ben Affleck probably the, the 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 most interesting and most awarded thing that he's done since. This movie is Argo. Yeah, he won an award. He won for best director, I believe, for that. So, um, and that's a that's a great movie. Um, and uh, you know, if they didn't have, you know, if luck hadn't kind of put all the stars to align, you know, with Casey getting into to die for, giving the script to Gus, and Gus, you know, making things yeah. happen with all of them. Yeah, you know. Might have been a different movie. Might not have even happened. Yeah. You not be might not be talking about these, this, Damon Affleck guys. Who the hell are these guys? Damon demons. They could have just been. They could have just been writing the. You know, all we do is be in Kevin Smith movies for the, his. You know, his whole movie directing career. Kind yeah. Of thing. And, which you know, no problem with that. But man, because they've been in a lot of his movies. They're both in Dogma. That's right. They've had bit parts and all in some of his other movies. So. No, they're they're great, and um, I'm looking forward to talking about several more Matt Damon movies. Maybe a Ben Affleck movie here and there. We'll see. Well, I can name a few we won't talk about. We'll never talk about Armageddon. Ever. 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 
I, uh... Ever. I've never seen glitter, but I don't want to. Glitter? Is it glitter? I think there was, like, a... What movie are you talking about? Wait, glitter? Geely? Wait, was Geely. it Geely? Geely. There we go. <laughs> Geely. No. I'm not going to talk about Geely. Not going to talk about Jersey Girl. <laughs> oh, Jersey Girl. We may do Chasing Amy one of these days. I... If you want. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, um, that's about all I had to say about Google Hunting. I think it's a great movie. Um, there's a lot of people who are like anti-Ben Affleck and anti-Matt Damon for various reasons. I just think that... Because they're grouchy. Well, and... Or just like how the hell these guys get to make this movie kind of thing. And I'm just like, you know what? It's a good movie. Just open your mind. No, it's Check really it good. So, but um, anyway, I want to thank everybody for taking a listen at this uh, this episode. We are recording on Friday the thirteenth, which is kind of fun. Yeah, and we have a black cat that's helping us tonight. Yeah, let's hope our he helps us every time. Let's hope our podcast doesn't crash. You did hit record, right? I did. Okay. <laughs> and he'll be embarrassed when I say it. Matt's birthday is coming up. Yep. He's in a couple more days. A couple more days. Ides of March. So, happy birthday, Get Matt. Get to Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday to Matt. Thank you. Yay. Yay. Glad you were born. Well, it'd be hard to do this podcast without me. It wouldn't exist if you weren't here. Uh, that's right. It was your idea. Yeah. Kind, sort of. Yeah. yeah. Tag team effort. Tag team effort. We make it work. We do. So thank you very, very much, everybody. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.